Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Sean Avery Medlin. Sean is a gamer and hip hop nerd whose only wish in this world is to watch an unproblematic black sci fi TV show. Their new book is 808s and Other Worlds, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, Jason. Thank you for having me. All right, Sean. Thank you for being here. Uh, It is an honor. And before we dive into your book, I'm going to riff on your author bio for a moment. You are a gamer. What are your favorite games? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I'll just go with what I'm playing right now. Yeah. Um, I'm playing this game called Hades. Mm-hmm. Uh, by an indie developer named Supergiant. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool retelling of the story of Hades and Persephone and uh, their son, Zagreus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also still playing Pokemon because I'll probably play that most of my life. <laughs> right on. Um, my uh, my young son is a huge Pokemon fan, and Hades is a great game. It's uh, reminiscent of um, Diablo 2, which just got a reissue. Um, it's too many games out there in the world, Sean. Um, but let us uh, move on. Do you believe, actually, do you believe that games are a form of literature? I definitely do. Um, I would not say every game is a form of literature. Uh Um, But I do think that, especially thinking about a game like Hades that has so much focus on dialogue and character development and relationship building, um, a lot of the reason I play that game is to read this sort of reinterpretation of retelling of this classic Greek myth that I already enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. And um, one more question about your bio before we jump into your book. What's the closest that a television series has come to being an unproblematic black sci-fi series or has anything come close? I would say the first two episodes of Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm which aired recently in uh, 2020, I think, Mm -hmm. um, was the closest thing. I really thought that was going to be everything I wanted. And then (laughs) as the season continued, it turned out not to be. um, Still a good show, um, Mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily fit my vision for what's possible with um, Black science fiction. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I fell out of that series around episode three or four, uh, but the, the beginning was very promising. Well, thank you, uh, Sean. Let's now dive into your book, 808s and Other Worlds. Uh, why 808s, Sean? This is an allusion. Um, your title is an allusion, it seems, to a Kanye West album, uh, but do you also have an affinity for the drum machine? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, the 808 drum machine is I think the most important drum machine in music history. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when it came out, I want to say it came out in the 60s or 70s. It was really unpopular and uh, it tanked, actually. The Roland TR-808, it tanked. Um, But it was picked up later by um, 
you know, black musicians like Africa Bambada, like uh, Marvin Gaye. And through usage from these musicians who were making R&B and soul and hip hop, um, the 808 drum machine from the 60s all the way until now has become the most prevalent drum in popular music. Yeah, right on. And uh, do you program drums, Sean? I don't program drums myself. Um, I'm a rapper, so I work with a lot of producers. I work with a lot of people that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to pick the, the title 808s, yes, for the Kanye reference, but also for sort of promise to myself or to the book that um, regardless of what the book meant to the world upon release, that it would mean a lot to the world in later years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, thank you very much, Sean. Uh, listeners, this is a good time to mention the Crooks Corner Book Prize, what Pulitzer Prize winner Charles Frazier calls the coolest book prize in the country. Awarded annually for the best debut novel set in the American South, the $5,000 prize is intended to encourage emerging writers, whether published by established publishing houses, small independent publishers, or self-published authors. This year's winner will be chosen by best-selling novelist and poet Ron Rash and will be announced in January 2022. For more information, visit www.crookscornerbookprize.com. Sean, uh, back to your book. Um, the person that you have dedicated this book to, uh, Michael Lassiter. Who is Michael? Yeah, Michael Lassiter is a... Um, chosen family member of mine, an uncle of one of my best friends, childhood friend who I'm still very close with. Mm -hmm. Um, Michael departed from us just a couple months ago. And, um, you know, I was really, I felt some type of way that he would never be able to actually hold my book. So um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was important to put his name in the dedication. Absolutely. Sorry for your loss, Sean, and that's a um, great dedication. Um, In the opening of your book, you write about Erica Badu. Uh, What does Erica mean to you, and do you consider uh, New America to be her best album? Oh, wow. Great questions. I think I can answer your second one first. Um, I don't think it is her best album, but it is for sure my favorite. Um, because it features a lot of uh, production from Jay Dilla, uh, the late Jay Dilla, um, an incredible hip hop producer who's very much responsible for influencing um, our living greats like um, Kanye West or DJ Premier, et cetera. Um, Yeah, Erica Badu to me was really like a shining beacon of like, quote unquote blackness and what i mean by that is you know being um young black in the suburbs of arizona i really didn't have immediate reflection around me of like a black community or like a black identity Mm. in my physical geographical location so i looked towards music almost solely for Mm. any idea of what blackness is or supposed to be 
And in that, um, my father was very particular about the music he wanted me to listen to. So um, I was only allowed to listen to so many artists and Erica Badu was one of them. Mm. Um, and I found her music just, I mean, I still love it to this day, but you know, it's very fantastic and uh, dramatic and hyperbolic, but she also sings and um, it's very low tone. You know, she's not doing crazy runs or anything. She lets a lot of the production create the world for her. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it was just very cinematic for me. I, you know, I think the, the scene that you're talking about, I do remember, I do remember being in my dad's backseat and playing this album and looking out the window and, you know, there's this alien world of Phoenix, Arizona, which mm. didn't make any sense to me. And, uh, you know, I was trying to make sense of so many different things at once, you know, mm -hmm. not just where I was, but also what this music was telling me about um, supposed blackness. Yeah, thank you, Shauna. We'll come back to um, Arizona in a moment after the break. I do have to say about Erica Badu, though, uh, that I'm partial to Mama's Gun. Uh, I listen to a ton of music, always have, always will. Um, I'm a musician myself. And I'd put Erica Badu's album, Mama's Gun, probably in my top 20 albums of all time. Um, I love that album and I can never forget it because one of the songs on that album, I think it's, uh, I don't remember what year it is, but it's called AD something. And every time I start my car, it connects to my uh apple music library on my phone and that one always starts first because i guess it's the first song in alphabetical order in my library or something um yeah yeah fantastic musician fantastic albums listeners we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor then i will be right back with sean avery medlin the Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Sean Avery Medlin, author of 808s and Other Worlds, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Sean, I want to ask you to tell us a little bit more about what living in Arizona uh, meant to you um, and your identity. Thank you for that question, Jason. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I mean, you know, foundational in the sense that it was the place, it is the place that I uh, grew up in. My dad was an Air Force cadet. Mm. Um, so I moved a lot of places before I lived in Arizona, but once my family moved here, we stayed here. Mm -hmm. um, and my immediate family is still here. I am still here. Uh, I think growing up in Arizona made me feel like 
I was not a part of like larger American pop culture or uh, Black American hip hop culture, or really, you know, it made me feel very disconnected really from any of the things that I grew to enjoy and seek. Hmm. Um, so that was always a very confusing thing. But on the other side, um, I have a lot of family, blood family and chosen family here in Arizona. Um, mm. a, a very big support network. And that has definitely brought me back to the place and what keeps me here now still. Um, I think now that I'm an adult and I'm understand things like uh, the great migration or um, immigration across the border. Um, now that I understand those things better, I have more language for why the state of Arizona is the way it is and why I feel so excluded here. Mm -hmm. um, but those you know, emotional ties, those relationships to people and places here still remain very strong. So it's a, it's a conflicting feeling. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Sean. I lived in uh, Tempe for a little over a year and I, I honestly couldn't get out fast enough. I was miserable there. Um, but I will probably be coming back to visit for a music festival in February, maybe um, good place to visit what I thought of it. Um, well, thank you, Sean. Tell me about your dad's CD rack uh, when you were growing up. What did you find there and what lessons did the music you were listening to uh, from your dad's CD collection impart upon you? Ah, uh, so many. Um, well, you know, the album that uh, we were just talking about, uh, Mama's Gun, Erica Badu was definitely there. Mm -hmm. um, Jill Scott albums. Uh, my dad is uh, also a big jazz fan, so he liked the Crusaders. Mm. Um, he liked the average white band. Mm -hmm. um, lots and lots of rap music. Uh, a lot of East Coast rap music is what my dad was into. Um, rappers like Guru, uh, groups like Gangstar, De La Soul. I think my understanding of poetics actually starts there at that CD rack. Um, I always say that I learned so much more from music about what a line is and what a line break is. And, you know, even just basic poetic devices, imagery, simile, metaphor, anaphora, all these sorts of things. Um, I learned early on just from listening to music. So that's one lesson that I got from that city rack. I think the other lesson was um, my introduction to this like concept of multiplicity of blackness, right? Where I was getting one message maybe from media like, like television, right? TV shows, movies, commercials, et cetera. It's getting one message, one portrayal of black folks. And listening to my dad's music, I was getting a whole nother portrayal. 
um, very different iconography and different stories. And I would even say, depending on who I was listening to, maybe a bit of a more accurate history lesson. Um, when I think about some rappers like Yasin Bey, formerly known as Most Def, or Talib Kweli, um, or Common, Common Sense, these rappers talked a lot about things that I did not learn in school. Um, they caused me, you know, as I talk about in that first poem, they did quite literally cause me to start looking things up on the internet, asking more questions. Um, so maybe, maybe I can say that that's the other thing I learned from that CD rack, right? Is the importance of like asking questions. Right. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, just of, of your dad and, and his music for one more question. Uh, why did your dad prohibit radio, but not BET? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it was a, uh, oversight on his part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad was very strict about music. He really wanted me and my sister to have a love of Black musical traditions, but he also really believed that what was on the radio was, was bad for us. Mm. Um, but, you know, the television was kind of like an in-between space because he would also watch um, BET. He liked to watch uh, the Rap City television show because you know rappers would come in and do live performances and there'd be live interviews and um i would say if there's anyone in the world who's like as much of a hip-hop nerd as me it's my dad he really loves to listen to artists talk and watch the live performances so um yeah i would just kind of watch that with him and that would be my dose of let's say like mainstream rap music um, and then outside of that, it was whatever I might hear from my friends. Yeah, right on, Sean. Thank you so much. Um, you write in your book that the word rapper is code for trickster. Uh, what do you mean here? Can you unpack this thought? Yeah, yeah. Um, I really firmly believe, recently I should say, I firmly believe in the uh, utility, I, I, I guess I'll say, of the trickster myth. Um, I think the trickster figure in culture is really important, especially um, non-white cultures. So I'm thinking in uh, various African traditions and also in African-American traditions. Um, there's always a trickster figure in mythology or in folklore so if we're thinking about um ghana then we can think of anansi the spider um very popular trickster god if we think of uh the american south we think of burr rabbit um uh folklore that does have roots in west africa but travels across the sea with the enslaved folks and these gods were so important because or you know some of them weren't gods proper but um they were so important because they were stories of creativity and ingenuity and survival um you know these enslaved folks living in these harsh conditions needed to believe 
that survival was possible, that there were ways to, they could invent ways to survive. And so stories of Burr Rabbit became very important for, I guess, the spirit of the enslaved folks. And I think that that spirit lives on very, very much in the spirit of the rapper. The rapper as the storyteller, as the creative, um, as the quick talker, the quick thinker, um, as the freestyler. I see a lot of parallels um, between like the role of the rapper as an oral figure and the role of these trickster heroes and gods. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Sean. Um, finally, uh, and, and there is so much more to talk about here, but I want to leave that up to the reader to discover. But my last question is, can you please tell me about Kanye West? Why? He is such a fascinating figure, both to you and to our culture at large. And what you think of the turn he took uh, with Donald Trump in the MAGA hats? Yes. Um, well, Kanye to me is, I think, probably the most important musician of my generation. Uh, mm-hmm. I grew up listening to Kanye. I remember listening to Kanye in 2006. Um, I had to be in middle school, uh, all the way through high school, all the way through college, through my adult years. He's still producing music. Um, I think what Kanye does for hip hop is a really unpredictable reinvention with each album. He introduces something that is maybe not the most prevalent in mainstream hip hop culture at the time. And he's able to translate it into pop music and also keep a lot of the authenticity or the rawness uh, that made it popular in underground hip hop. Um, At this point in his career, you know, I would say he's for sure a full pop star, but Um, he has not stopped predicting or creating trends. Um, And, you know, to talk about the the cover, I'm sorry, not the cover, the title of my book again, um, his album, Mm -hmm. 808s and Heartbreak, was much like the 808 TR Roland, I'm sorry, the Roland TR 808. Um, It was hated when it was released. No one thought it was a good album. But if you fast forward you know, five years, the sound that he made on that album is the predominant sound in rap music. Mm-hmm. Um, even to this day, you practically don't hear a rap song without auto-tune. Um, you practically don't hear a pop song without auto-tune. Mm-hmm. Um, Kanye very much predicted and started that trend, you know, all those years ago, 2009. So, you know, these are the reasons why I think he is, he is the most important musician of my generation, um, I had a very, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, there's a word I'm looking for when it's like a parasocial relationship where mm-hmm. you, you're so into an artist or a celebrity, you actually think that you know them. <laughs> right. And 
You know, I think a lot of people felt that way about Kanye. A lot of people who, like me, grew up listening to his music through throughout our school years and all darted. So when he did make the turn um, to Trump support, uh, it, I took it very personally. I was very hurt. I felt like it was like a family member, a trusted friend I knew who just told me, you know, that they were essentially supporting someone who stood against everything that I believed in. Um, so it was a very personal moment and I had to do a lot of processing and a lot of accepting that, yes, I might feel some type of way personally, but ultimately, you know, I do not know this person. And also, um, he is not someone that I think we should look towards for politics and, um, you know, critiquing commentary and, and these sorts of things. I feel like there's an overemphasis of the black celebrity as a spokesperson for like the, for black people, right. Um, as some sort of like indicator of representation of what black people think and want. Um, and Kanye really showed us if, if numerous other people had not showed us that enough times, Kanye really showed us that we can't, uh, put that sort of onus on anyone. It's very unfair. And I think he also shows us that, um, you know, money at that level, millions and billions of dollars, it's all green <laughs> and it all trades between the hands and the companies and businesses of the same people and millionaires and billionaires across race and gender and religion and sexuality support each other. Um, because, you know, if, if Trump is rich, Kanye is rich. Um, I don't necessarily have hard number proof of that, right? But just thinking about the way capitalism works, um, everyone makes money when Trump is in office that's already very rich. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I guess I say all that to say that regardless of what Kanye does in the political world, um, I'm always going to really herald his music. Um, I would say some of his newer music is not as uh, inspired as it once was, but He's still a master director, a master producer, um, and can assemble a really incredible team to put together a record. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sean, do you miss the old Kanye? Ah, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, I guess I do. But I also have accepted that, you know, that person could never stay. Um, that person could never stay, you know. Kanye entered the music industry and actually achieved, I think, achieved like most of his dreams. And um, that changes people. That world, you know, it really, really changes people. So mm -hmm. I can't say that Kanye is a completely different person again, because it's not like I ever actually knew the person. But I can say that the version of himself now, I prefer a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right on. Um, thank you, Sean. I, I will say I've had a lot of arguments with some people um, very close to me who who have argued that Kanye West is not a genius. And I always say, well, tell me uh, which one of his works is indicative of him not being a genius and no one can ever do it because uh, the folks making that argument, I don't think I've really ever listened to his music. Um, what's yeah. your favorite Kanye album? Ooh. Um, favorite, favorite late registration mm -hmm. is my favorite because I have a huge emotional con connection. I mean, I do think it's a good body of work, but I have a huge emotional connection to it. It was the soundtrack for my seventh and eighth grade years. And I'm sure you might remember for any teenager, those are tumultuous years. So, mm -hmm. um, I'm quite connected to that album. Yeah. Right on. That's probably my second favorite. I think uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is my my number one. Um, but most of them are good, uh, except for maybe the newer stuff. But um, thank you, Sean. Uh, thank you for those answers. Thank you for writing this wonderful book. I'm so happy uh, that Eric and Eliza published it. Listeners. I've been speaking with Sean Avery Medlin, author of 808s and Other Worlds, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Sean, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Jason. This was awesome. Once again, I would like to thank Sean Avery Medlin for joining me. Copies of 808s and Other Worlds can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.